Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Talking Heads podcast. While our usual episodes at this time will continue with Lucy and I talking about our head gardening lives, we also thought it would be nice to bring you other voices from the horticultural world. So, from time to time, we'll be bringing out these bonus episodes featuring conversations with head gardeners, curators, garden owners and other horticulturists from across the UK. Grab your favourite cuppa and settle back into this episode. So welcome to our first ever bonus episode of the Talking Heads podcast. And I'm thrilled to introduce uh, a long friend of mine, Tamsin Westhorpe. Hi, Tam. How are you? Hi. I am so chuffed to be a bonus for once in my life. <laughs> Hurrah. We, we all need to be a bonus at some point, don't we? <laughs> so um, Tam and I have known each other since we both worked on Amateur Gardening magazine. Uh, so I know a little bit about your history and your route into horticulture, Tam, but could you tell our listeners how yes. you entered this wonderful, diverse industry? Oh, gosh, yes. Well, basically, I'm a complete failed school pupil, uh, one of three sisters. So my parents decided when reached A-levels not to invest in me anymore. And they sent me to work at Burford House Gardens, which is my great uncle's in um, Worcestershire, where he was a clematis grower. So that's how I got started. And then he suggested, I think he'd had enough of me, go to Sparshop College and learn the trade. So I went to Sparshop College. And then I ended up working in Bournemouth Parks Department as a greenkeeper, um, did some interior landscaping, was very happy just being a jobbing gardener, to be honest. Um, and then I sort of fell into garden writing. Um, one of my old lecturers, David Hurrian, sort of said, come on, I've got a job as an editor, come and, come and be a junior. And that was really my route into media. But I've bounced in and out of media, back to gardening, had my own little garden shop, worked at garden centres. You name it, I've done it, basically. Typical Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because actually when you were amateur gardening and I I was also there, that's when you had your, your gardening shop, didn't you? Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, now you've mentioned that. I do remember you, you setting that up. That was, And I remember walking around it. It was lots and lots of lovely garden trinkets and, and sundries and plants and all sorts of gems yep. there. So, so I'm, yeah. I'm really glad I did that. But I also did at the same time, I taught horticulture at Kingston Moorwood College but but I needed a mortgage I needed a proper job so that's when I ended up at Amateur Gardening and I closed the shop um, and uh, from there went on to be editor of the English Garden magazine and after seven years of that um, which I adored um, my uncles were running Stocktonbury Gardens um, my aunt had died who was helping on the farm and we just sort of had a family sort of what are we going to do so I thought right now's the time to you know get back and home and help with the garden so since then that's what I've been focusing on. So Stockton Breeze in Herefordshire am I? It's in Herefordshire, Herefordshire not Hertfordshire. Not Hertfordshire we, yeah we've got to be quite clear and it's a four acre garden I think I remember from reading up do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah sure so it's four acres it's in the heart of a working farm so we still have sheep cattle arable cider orchards um, it's been created by my uncle and his partner over the last 35 years so I've grown up watching it being created um, and we've been there as a family for five generations so um, it's very much home for me um, and it's a mixture of formal parts of the garden we've got a water garden kitchen garden um, 
it it's lovely it's it's a plantsman's garden it's absolutely packed with really unusual goodies um we're a very sheltered spot so we're, we benefit from that nothing like you down in devon Saul, but but you know for herefordshire it's it's uh, it's pretty good um and we open the garden every year from the first of april till the end of october no the end of september there we are. So yeah. And what is what is the climate like at Stocktonbury? What like so um, what soil type have you got? And... We've got clay. Um, yeah. But everyone goes, oh, how awful! But actually, it's really, really good soil in Herefordshire. It's incredibly fertile, um, great for growing potatoes. Um, and we are sheltered. We have a very old kitchen garden wall um, that gives us a lot of protection. Um, and, you know, with all the heavy rain, we're high enough that we didn't get flooded, but we're sheltered enough that we're not a frost pocket. It's just a really, really good spot. Um, so we're, we're grateful for that. Lovely. And you mentioned that it's a plantsman's garden. So if people wanted to see a particular genus of something, what, what, what could they see at Stocktonbury? What would, what would bring them in? Crikey. Right. Well, because my uncles are obsessive and they, they've been friends with Christopher Lloyd, Beth Chateau. So they spent a lot of time with people like that, that they have collected a huge amount of plants. They've been given a huge amount of plants over the years. And the soil is literally packed layer upon layer of all sorts of different goodies. So um, although we're not open in the winter, we've got some great snowdrops. We've got some amazing, we've got a brilliant um, collection of hepaticas um, thanks to John Massey at Ashwood Nursery who's, who's also a friend yeah uh, we've got some lovely small trees because we're very close to Frank P Matthews Nursery and Nick Dunn went to school with my uncle so they are they are good friends um, I would say it's a collection of all sorts so every season we have an incredibly varied mix I wouldn't say we are a garden for one particular plant but having said that early now in April we have a lot of woodland plants. I was going to say because Saul and I have both been putting up videos on our Twitter accounts of the gardens because obviously we are still working on our private estates at East Dunland and at Stonelands. Yeah. Have you done that with Stocktonbury or yes. if people were walking around there now what would they see? So I'm putting up little videos and I've just done a video for the NGS that I think they're going to put up because we were hoping to open for them. Um, we've got a great, oh gosh, we've got wonderful drifts of primulas that have self-seeded. We've got an incredible amount of fritillarias. areas. Um, we've got, although they're invasive and not hugely popular, we have these really impressive American skunk cabbages by the, by the pond. Um, and anemone, wood anemones. So um, one that is a favourite of mine is the double wood anemone called Vestal. Um, so yes, there's just so much low growing, lots of um, epimediums and erythroniums coming up. Um, yeah, it's, it's a real feast. I can see Saul salivating at those words, erythroniums and uh, hepaticas. Yeah, there's some serious plants there. Um, how long have you been open to the public for? Because I'm guessing it used to be a pri it used to be a private garden, did it? And then it opened to the public. Yes, I mean basically, my uncles created it for fun because they had we were related to John Treasure and he was so enthusiastic that that sort of seeped through into them um, and he nurtured them and said right come on create your own garden so um, really I think it's probably 25 years now 
crikey yeah probably 25 years they've been opening for the NGS and opening to the public and the only reason why they opened was because people said come on you must share this garden um, and to be quite honest with you it wasn't until the last week of March I mean opening the garden is not easy it's I become a bit manic if I'm honest before because it's things like the signs the loos the health and safety the fire extinguishers all the things that you don't think about you know because we have to think about we are a tourist attraction in effect you can't sort of forget all those things so we're manic my sister and I getting that ready she runs the cafe so we're doing new menus ordering food what drinks should we have how much should the coffee be so um it wasn't until we didn't have all that that I actually thought this is this is just tragic you know we've well that's one thing I was going to ask you because Saul and I both work as I say on private estates we were with Stockton very it's the flip side of that as I say it's open to the public so whilst we uh we're, were carrying on working in our private gardens you had to deal with a whole lot of different um dilemmas didn't you with with we're thinking about the public and and could they safely come to the garden so how what were your thoughts and what what have you been doing in 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 the the last few weeks right well um I'm really fortunate that my sister's completely level-headed and I'm the sort of one that comes up with all these crazy ideas. So she's great. She'll go, really? Wait and see. You know, so I'm very lucky to have that. Um, so I've been through all sorts of emotions. Initially, I was like, right, well, we'll still open the garden. We might not open the cafe, but we'll still have the garden open. Um, we've got to let people in. We've got to let people see this. It'll be good for them. That's, that's very similar to the National Trust. I think they thought originally that they could open and hopefully everyone would keep their distance from each other and they'd be able to maintain themselves as a place people could go for exercise and things. But obviously that hasn't materialised for them in the same way. And I can see why, because actually, um, when you open a garden on the scale we do, I mean, we probably have, we're not, we're not massive. We might have 150 people a day on a, on a sunny day, which is enough for us. Um, but what you quickly realise is that people come to us for a conversation as much as the garden. So I spend most of my time at the front of the garden in our reception talking to people we have lots of people that come on their own um they might be a widow they might be new to the area they might just be you know looking for friendship so we we actually connect with people i think that's the service we're almost like a sort of i don't know a sort of social service for people um and we get quite concerned you know if we don't see that particular person come in we think god are they are they ill are they well what's happening so that's a massive part of my role and you may find that people come <clears throat> and they 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 fall unwell on a normal day you know so i've had that that's not to be underestimated the care that you have to give your visitors I, I think it is worrying with all these big gardens and the smaller gardens all being closed in that there is a lot of people who would usually get out in spring to see all the flowers and things and they're not going to be able to get to see that and what that does do to your your mental health I, I know for me I'm very lucky and same with Lucy that we get to go into our gardens every day and see it and I, we were just discussing before we started recording that if I couldn't I know that would really uh, affect my, how my thinking because I, I don't spend much time indoors. So, yeah, I can see why uh, that would be a worry as an outlet for that kind of people coming in and, and being able to have that sort of interaction with nature. It's a bit of a worry. Yeah. 
I mean, strangely, at, in, at my initial point, I thought, oh, what about all our season ticket holders that come, you know, every week and talk about plants and buy the plants? And that was my first thought. And then actually over the time, I've thought, actually, they'll be fine. They've got their own gardens. The people that I'm really worried about are the people that come on their own are the people that just come because they need they haven't got a garden or they're too old to have their garden and this is their their special place um and i find it i mean honestly i can't tell you how many times in a year i nearly burst into tears i've got a couple of stories that i'll tell you so um a couple of years ago, a young girl came in, sort of in her 20s, and she said, oh, I've not been around a garden before, but I'm driving by. I thought I'd have a look. So she went in and she came back out sort of an hour later in floods of tears. And I thought, oh, gosh, she's fallen over. What's happened? Did she, did she hate it? And she said to me, um, I just can't, I can't believe it. I've not been around a garden before like this. And I've had the worst possible week. And I just, it's like... I was told to pull over, she said, and it's completely changed my outlook. And she was right. completely it emotional. Really, really, really did tap into something for her. She she understood yeah. why people love gardening yeah. so much as a release and a escape. Yeah, wow. Exactly. And she wasn't a gardener. So that's that's what's quite amazing. Um, and we also have, we have one lady that comes in. She takes her shoes off and puts them on my potting bench and walks around the garden barefoot. Brilliant. <laughs> You know, you have all these lovely yeah, things yeah. that go on um, that, you know, it's it. So they are the people that I, I think, oh, no, you know, you can you can tell by their actions that they are getting so much more out of that garden than just walking around and looking at the colours there. It's tapping into something deep, centrally based within them, within their core that, that just fills them with positivity doesn't it like you say, i i love when you walk around um if you walk around on a, a grassy lawn on a sunny day with your with your bare feet i mean I, i've done that a couple of times and it's just delicious so i fully get why that lady puts her shoes on your table and does that yeah at, at stonelands we've got a river that runs through the garden and there's a ford that goes across the river it's a concrete ford and when i take my ngs groups around I ask if anyone wants to take their shoes off and wade across the ford. And I, and I usually get a, a few, you know, a few takers. Some people are quite sceptical. But I remember this one time, it was a 90-year-old woman and she wasn't that good on her feet, but she said, all right, I'm going to give it a go. And she held onto my hand and she went across. And I've never seen someone's face change into this sort of this massive beaming smile. And she looked like she'd taken about 40 years off herself. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it is... It's not just, it's not, for us, it's very, there's a scientific element to it and it's and it's very much work, but there is also this this deep seat need to engage with the natural world, and especially these days when we're so disconnected from that kind of place as we that, used to be. That stream that you, you mentioned, that lady walked across and took 40 years off her life. I think I actually added 40 years to mine when you took me across it the other, when I, when I visited, <laughs> because it had been quite wet, hadn't it? It and was the, flooding, the, yeah. It was, it was flooding. <laughs> and we, Lucy, don't, don't you ask the question, why was he getting you to cross it in a flood? I really worry about this friendship, I tell well, you. Well, I don't mean to be at all rude. I mean, my, it was myself and my husband, Ian, walking around Stonelands having a little look. And, um, 
these guys, I think Saul maybe hadn't appreciated my weight because uh, out of the three of us, I was definitely the lightest. <laughs> and we waded across and, and the guys just went off in the front of me. And I thought, well, this is, this is fair enough. And, uh, and honestly, as soon as I got in there, I was laughing and, but I was also saying if I was effing and jeffing a little bit because my feet were being carried away from underneath <laughs> me. But it was still, it was more like a white water ride than That's a true. gentle paddle with a bare foot across the stream. But, but still, it tapped into something for me. I was, I was very excited for a good few minutes after that. I'll tell you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and we had a funny thing about um, water. We had a call, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. This woman called me and said, oh, you couldn't look round the garden. I've left a sock. <laughs> in the garden right and I thought right okay yeah I, I will have a look and I thought is it a cashmere sock is it you know something really posh yeah. anyway I found an M&S black sock in the garden and she wanted me to post it to her and it's things like that that you look back on and you think I wonder why the sock was if off you that sock but you talk. know maybe she dipped her toe in the water or something mm. but I love all that and I shall I shall definitely miss <laughs> miss all that this year have you been able town to since the lockdown have you been able to visit Stockton Bureau yourself and just check that everything is okay or do you have a someone doing that for you or what's what's your setup at the mo well my uncle lives my uncle lives there fortunately so he's sort of watering and sowing his seed and doing his veg <clears throat> and I have been I'm not going as much but I, I am going because my fear is it's only around the corner for me so my fear is if we let it go um, what if we can suddenly open and it looks yeah. awful? Yeah. Um, mm. And also, you know, there's things that do need doing. Um, so is it, is, it, is it just you? Is it just a family? Uh, are you the only ones that garden or do you have staff there who garden as well? Yeah, so, so we, do, we do occasionally have people that come in. Um, we have someone that does our lawns. So we might have sort of people coming in occasionally, but normally it's just me and my uncles really. So from that point of view, it's pretty manageable. Mm. Um, and we really had got it pin sharp because unlike you guys, we have huge amount of pressure to actually get it ready for the 1st of April. Right. It feels a bit like a show garden build-up week. Mm. And um, my uncle gets quite cross with me because I normally say, oh, it's not ready, it's not finished to open. And he'll say, well, of course it's not. It's never going to be. <laughs> and he's right. Yeah, yeah. But you do sort of think, oh, God, it's got to be absolutely perfect. And, it, it you know, it, it really can't be. Um, There's always one more job that could be done, isn't there? Always mm. one or exactly. two more. And then once you finish that job, you think, oh, hang on, I could just do this. And it's it's your own level of, um, like you say, sort of perfectionism and uh, being conscientious and just wanting to put together a really good garden. And sometimes, as you say, if your uncle's there kind of like tempering it and going, hang on, Tam, do you know what? It, it's, know. it's not ready, but it looks absolutely amazing. And I think I do find as well that when you're in the garden day in, day out, Sometimes the, and I don't, I, I always try to sort of like remind myself of this. Sometimes you forget how lovely the garden is because you're seeing it day by day. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the, the yeah. shine almost disappears, not disappears, but it's the edge is taken off. You've hit on something there because somebody once asked me, you know, if I could go around any garden, what which one would it be? And actually, I'd like it to be ours, but I'd like it to be the first time I went round it. Yeah. You know, like, because because the thing is, like Lucy says, you do, you all you see are the problems yeah. now. Yeah. 
And I always used to get quite cross with my uncle because of some beautiful places to sit in the garden. He never sits outside and has tea in the garden. He's always in the house or rushing round or whatever. And actually, I get that because you just see, oh God, I've got to do that. And you can't sit. So I, I tend to sit in the field. If I want to relax, I climb over the fence and sit in the field. It's a bit like having lunch at work, isn't it? You, you, if, you're at, yeah. if you're at your desk, you're going to work. So yeah. in some ways, yeah. if you're in the garden trying to relax, you're just looking at things to do. Yeah, in the field, you know, I'm not going to start weeding that, am I? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just sit and that's where I would rather be. I do find that those videos that we're putting up on Twitter are because people are seeing those for the first time. And then you get some lovely comments coming back about, the garden and how it looks and how it's been maintained that sometimes does it's a lovely thing to, to for us to read the compliments yeah because it reminds you that actually those gardens are very special and they do look lovely and we're privileged to be working in among in that environment and it, it it does remind you of that so i think for us as well putting those videos up on twitter of the gardens is quite a it's you get your own satisfaction out of it as well as allowing people to see what's going on but the other thing um, what that I hope will happen is you guys probably haven't faced this, but sometimes people will come to the garden and not like it. Right. You know, and that is really, gosh, it's hard to deal with that. It's so upsetting. No, I can imagine. You know, but they, you yeah. know, they might be really critical and say, well, you've let it go or, you know, that you do get, you do get those people. It's very rare, very rare. Yeah, I know, but I can imagine. what, what, um, it cuts you to the core. It's so upsetting. It's like a personal and, insult, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't, I just hope that, you know, no garden is going to suit everyone perfectly. What I would hope is those people will sort of reevaluate the way they look at a garden you know, we didn't build it for them and their character. It's built over time by lots of people with love, with passion, etc. So I do just feel that that's really harsh. And I hope I would ne I would never go to a garden and say, you know, that I was disappointed or I just think it's it's just the wrong words. Yeah, um, I've never and, done that. I've never done that. And the, I've, I feel honestly, I've never even would appreciate that anybody would who is into gardening would even think about doing that to um, the owners and the directors of the garden. I know that I find when when the owners of the hall walk around the garden, um, obviously they're not doing it so much at the moment, but when they have done in the past, and then they make a again because of, for them it's their garden, they're so used to it, and they they will look with a very critical eye. They they are perfectionists, and they will say things like, you know, you've done all this work, all this weeding and mulching. They walk right past that, and they pick pick the one weed that you've oh, missed, and they will say something about it. And that to me, I get I get upset about that. So for you, as I say, I I I really feel for you on that. Think, but but what I think what is really hard now as well is you've got lots of different types of gardeners visiting so you've got those that are into rewilding which is fantastic I love that theme but for, that's not my garden we've got areas that are and you'll get people that if they see a dandelion in the border they think you have failed you're losing grip of reality so you're mm. trying to please everyone 
Yeah, because because there's this old school sense of what a garden used to be, and then people are getting into gardening now are obviously getting more uh, the messages that are coming out of um, wildlife friendly, like you say, the rewilding meadows, everything looking very naturalistic. So they probably won't appreciate the gardens from 20, 30 years ago, which were proper borders, you know, everything looking, you know, bedding and all that kind of thing. So I guess it is quite hard to satisfy everyone. It is. I mean, and it's also the techniques you use. For example, this has really become obvious over the last few years. If people see a plant with a pest on it, they'll love to say, oh, Tamsin, you've got a terrible problem with the fruit trees. But they don't want to see a pest, but equally they don't want to see that you're solving it with a chemical. Yes. So people are expecting a perfect garden because you're opening it, but they do not want to see that you're taking any action to kill anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely understand that. it's, It's really, really hard because, of course, if our garden was riddled with pests and diseases, um... You know that wouldn't be wouldn't be ideal. There, there's this cloak of when you see a, a, a when you go and visit a garden, you just see that you just see the garden. What you don't appreciate is the is the practicality and the what goes on behind to actually make the garden uh, work. And I and I think yeah. if you're not, if you're not a gardener, you don't appreciate the amount of you know everything we go through. And I think if some people saw our jobs from day to day, they'd be a bit um, you know bemused or uh, yeah. Or, or you know yeah but if, if you guys saw me in the morning before we open we open at 11 so I get there you know half eight do the school run straight there so my first job is a, a, a literally a quick run around the garden anything that's falling into the beds or any pests I can cut out any green fly or you know so it's a real like quick it's almost like getting ready for the judges as quickly as you can <laughs> um and um you're also looking for dead things Right. Yeah, it sounds awful. You mean you, like, do, you do mean if, plants, don't you? No, animals. Oh, animals. Oh, okay. And we because <laughs> Saul's eyes are falling out of his head. <laughs> but the thing is, is that if, say, for example, um, a fox has killed a bird in the garden, or and you haven't walked around the garden, you've no people react to that. Obviously, it's shocking. Yeah. You know, we yeah. had a dead rat in the garden once, and you know, this woman was hysterical. So you have to. Pick up your dead. Not that there's much, you know, not that that's every day. But, you know, those are the sorts of things when you're opening to the public. They don't want to see that. Um, I don't particularly want to see that animal either. (laughs) But, you know, that's... uh, And then, of course, I've got to go and do the toilets. Um, Now, everybody... um, has this thing about oh how awful doing the loose I really don't mind cleaning toilets at all I don't know why it doesn't bother me in the slightest and um but these are all the things that you absolutely so my my biggest part of my day is check there's enough loo roll constantly Uh, it's it's interesting the difference between me and Lucy's private I think I think sometimes I think we we we, uh we have it a little bit easy although Saying that, we do have that one singular pair of eyes, the owner's yeah. eyes. So yeah. um, there's always one person trying to please rather than a lot. But I think, yeah, public gardens have a, a whole different layer of what I would call non-gardening things to consider that I think, um, well, I used to work for the National Trust and I sort of left that behind a bit because I just wanted to concentrate on doing the gardening. But yeah, I guess there is a, there is a difference to being public facing than private like us 
I mean, uh, the, the best bits of it are we obviously have a cafe with my sister cooking and, and our chef, Jane. And uh, you'll laugh because at about quarter to, I think it's about half ten, I normally think, oh, I'll go and get a coffee and see if they've got any cake. And um, I go in and they're doing Popmaster um, on Radio 2 and they go, don't you even and I start grinding the coffee and they're like don't you even dare you know and every day I get the timing wrong um, I say don't go in at 10.30 Tim don't go in at 10.30 10.30 to so 11 our entire, no. our entire opening times revolve around Popmaster <laughs> so we we will we will never open earlier than that because my sister absolutely adores this pop oh, quiz fantastic, fantastic so it's hilarious so um, oh. yeah it's all part of the fun. It is, isn't it? Do you know, because Saul and I have talked about opening our gardens a little bit more. Saul, Saul does do that with individual tours. And we have a an annual open day where we raise funds for the um, the local church. And I, so I do get the the, the build-up and the anticipation of that, of that, you know, the garden's closed and it's suddenly going to be open to the public and they're going to come. For us, it's, as I say, an afternoon every year. For you, it's, as you say, you know, many, many it's months back on. to back. Yeah, I can imagine. I really, really can. And um, I mean, the other thing is you are you are stuck to the spot. So I am at the entrance of the garden for the opening times. I can't wander off. I can't go and check anything in the garden. I've got to be at the entrance. Right, right. So that can be quite frustrating if it's a quiet day mm. because obviously you're stuck that's how I wrote my book I thought well it's raining today I'm, I've got to be here so I'll sit and write a book um so you do you you that's quite frustrating actually and it can be a beautifully sunny day and our reception area is freezing cold stone barn so I'm constantly in a jumper and people think oh are you ill I'm like no <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting still yeah yeah. yeah, so um, it is quite life restricting, if yeah. I'm honest. Yeah, um, but then, you, as you say, you you managed you managed to write your book. because I know we obviously we 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 all know you very well for Stocktonbury, but I we also know you in the in the horticultural sector for a couple of other things. And you you have, as you say, launched a book earlier this year. So uh, now we now we understand and we can picture you writing it as well so just give us a really a, a good a quick synopsis on that my book is called the diary of a modern country gardener and it was literally written by mistake so I was thinking oh what should I do today and I started writing funny things down that were happening things customers said and you know things that I'd done and um yeah and I just uh, a friend of mine is a publisher and she said oh send it send me some of it and she said I love it let's do it so um I carried on for the year absolutely terrifying writing a book that's about your life because oh, yeah, it's just oh it's just honestly I don't think I slept for about three weeks before it printed um and uh, people will start thinking oh gosh she's mad so and I'm Lucy will know I'm not I'm sort of very honest and tell people most things so um you know there's, there's quite a lot of it's all in there. in there are there, are there any dead animals there. mentioned in the book <laughs> well, I don't know, actually. I can't remember that's now. A, that's so, the, that's um, the next book on, Tam. Come on. <laughs> I know. So it's a real sort of mix of life on the farm, um, life at, as running an open garden, doing talks, all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's gone down, uh, down well. I think people... What's been lovely is actually how many non-gardeners have enjoyed it. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which, which is testament to the content, obviously, is entertaining as well then, which is... Yeah, is, that yeah. was not yeah. who I wrote it for. Mm. I, and um, they've been the biggest fans. So that's that's really exciting. And the other, um, the other thing we know you from is your co-chair of the Garden Media Guild, 
which oh, is yeah. quite an active uh, society, as far as I can tell from yes. the social media. I think you co-chair it with Constance? Constance, Constance Craigsmith. Um, and um, we are, it's so funny. I met Constance in the loo at Chelsea Flower Show a few years ago, and she said, um, oh, you must join the Guild. And I, I thought, oh, okay. So, and then, you know, from then, she sort of wrote me in to help her with the co-chair and we've become the best of friends lovely and um it's so lovely that we we have each other because i mean honestly especially at times like this you you need mm. a, a someone else to work with yeah um and we've got a fabulous committee and um it is a lot of work but it's it means that i'm aware of what's going on in the industry um and yeah, it's it's an amazing, amazing group of people all doing wonderful things in the media. Yeah, because I say we we know of, of various, uh, like we mentioned uh, before we came on, I think about the, the Horticultural Trades Association, and yeah. uh, we've got professional bodies that uh, that maybe some of our listeners would be would be part of. But the Garden Media Guild, as you say, is, is specifically for people in the the. The press, so it's the photographers, the writers, the broadcasters, yep. TV per- presenters, um, and it's a lovely melting pot. I know I've been to events at the at the Guild. Um, we have the uh, obviously the annual awards every November, and normally there's a summer party as well. But it's it also has lots of tours that you can go to when uh, when movements allow us to. Um, yeah. And there's there's lots of benefits to joining the guild, isn't there? There definitely is, and I think, but I think the biggest benefit is this this network of friendship from within the same industry. And what is so lovely about our industry is, you know, we don't seem to compete with each other. You know, we're we're doing podcasts together. It's all really united, mm. and I think that is what is just, especially now, it's proving to be just wonderful that we're all backing each other up we're all working together sharing tips how do you do this what do you do how do you get in how do you get onto zoom um, which lucy <laughs> taught me um so yeah it's uh i just think it's fantastic and um you know i've made so many friends since since co-chairing mm. um yeah so it's, it's definitely and i think you know we underestimate the importance of garden writers sharing this knowledge with the community yeah i I think I think gardeners generally. Uh, we mentioned in a um, a previous podcast, Saul and I, that that actually I think it, as an industry, gardeners are so keen to share knowledge, whether it be about growing or, as you say, you know, getting to grips with social media and technology or or sharing contacts. Um, there, yeah. we we are as a as a sector. I think very very um, generous with our knowledge and our time and. Um, we're not we're not guarded. We're not sort of like com- very strongly commercially driven. It's a, it's a lovely sector to be in, and that's why I personally stuck with it for for yeah. 20, over twenty years. I, I really really do enjoy that, and I think especially as you say at the moment when this virus has still got the country and well the whole world in a a bit of a, a lo- you know lockdown topsy turvy state, and we are finding it difficult to communicate face to face. Then being either part of the guild or just part of the horticultural sector and uh, via social media, we we really can, thankfully, still feel connected and just all joining together, uh, in, united, fighting this the same cause, which which is um yeah it's 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 a comfortable position to be in. So Tam, uh, one of the things everyone, uh, well not everyone, who, who you want to tell people is that you actually have these 
podcasts you're doing uh, with Candide. Yes, so I have two podcasts, um, Greedy, um, <laughs> and uh, one is Fresh from the Pod, where I interview gardening experts and well-known gardeners about their life, really, about their passion for horticulture, how they got into it, what it means to them. Um, and I've interviewed people like Chris Beard, Shaw, um, recently Jules Hudson from Escape to the Country, who's a passionate gardener, Anne-Marie Powell. So it's a design designers, writers, broadcasters and I also have a channel called The Untold Stories of Gardening where I interview experts also well known who know their stuff on particular particular topics or give us an insight into the industry um, so they're both very different and um, yeah so they're both created by myself and the gardening app Candide. Oh that's great and if anyone wants to check those out where can they uh, find those? You can go onto the Candide website um, or anywhere that you find your podcasts they should be very easy to find. Well you know, thank you, Tamsin, for being the first uh, bonus guest. Oh, it's so exciting. I shall never forget this. This is going on my CV, this is. The bonus <laughs> guest on yeah. your podcast. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you and, for having me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lovely. And uh, we hope Stockton Bree opens soon, obviously. And yeah. uh, when it does, everyone should go and visit and uh, enjoy their time there. Thank you. Thank you both. We really hope you've enjoyed listening in to our conversation. We definitely look forward to bringing you more of these in the future. Staying in touch with our fellow peers in the industry is more important now than ever. So if you have an idea of someone who would like to appear on the Talking Heads podcast, or indeed if you'd like to come and chat with us yourself, please do get in touch. In the meantime, please listen to our past podcasts and enjoy a little peek into our gardening lives. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.